Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Filter. On this show, we recognize that the world can be a confusing place to live in. And so what I seek to do on this show is to equip you to live with biblical clarity in our confusing world so that you can face the chaos of life with wisdom, integrity, and courage. Today, I'm glad to be welcoming on a guest that I've been wanting to have for a while, and uh, we were uh, able to make it work out. I'm glad to welcome Brett McCracken. Brett is Senior Editor and Director of Communications at the Gospel Coalition. He's also the author of several books, including The Wisdom Pyramid, uh, Uncomfortable, Grave Matters, and Hipster Christianity. Brett and his wife live in Santa Ana, California, with their three children. Brett, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Aaron. Yeah, well, I'm glad to have you on. As I was telling you before, uh, I've really enjoyed your um, your insights on movies, your movie reviews, um, and, and other writings that you've had at the Gospel Coalition for several years now. And so, uh, so it's great to have you on. I appreciate the time. Yeah, pleasure. Pleasure to be here. Yeah. Well, you had a uh, an article come out a couple weeks ago that caught my eye. That I thought, okay, here would be this is a great one that I could uh, reach out to him to have you on for and it was about uh war movies you released it around the time of memorial day we're gonna be releasing releasing this one before july 4th uh for people as a little uh movie guide for if they want to watch something to go along with uh the holiday independence day but you released it a little while back and uh and i thought it was great i really enjoyed it because i'm i'm a movie enjoyer um i i don't consider myself a you know um a uh uh, uh, what would be the word for it? I don't consider myself, you know, a critic enjoying the, mm-hmm. you know, I'm not an art film guy. I'm a simple guy. I enjoy action movies, comedy movies, and so on. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, but I, I do enjoy film. And so, uh, and I enjoy film criticism. So, um, and, and war movies is one of my favorite genres. But before we get into specifically your article on uh, these war movies, Let's just talk about movie watching as a Christian before we get into that and think about how do we approach that as a Christian. And so what is the value of watching movies as a Christian? Yeah, good question. Um, I think on one hand, the value is just enjoyment. I think as as Christians, we, we sometimes undervalue that. It sounds wrong to say that it's okay to just enjoy things, but mm. you know we we serve a God who created a beautiful world and a world for us to enjoy, a world that wasn't just utilitarian, but uh, is full of beauty as well. And um, you know he he created and then he rested, right? And he said that it was good. And so I think as his image bearers, it's it's leisure and enjoyment are ways we actually image God. Um, so we image him by working and being productive and fruitful and stewarding the world, but we also image him by um, enjoying kind of the the world that he made and the, the creations of other image bearers, which is the arts and, you know, things like movies. So, so I would say at a basic level, like Christians uh, don't need to feel guilty about, about enjoying things like movies. Um, but, you know, as we all know, movies and, and pop culture are uh, not just kind of a neutral terrain. There, there are lots of really bad messages out there in Hollywood stories. There's lots of explicit content that isn't helpful. So I think even though it's generally, you know, a, a good thing to be able to enjoy watching something on Netflix or going out to the movies we have to be discerning about it and we have to be careful um, both with kind of the the content in a movie but also the worldview and kind of what the underlying um, assumptions are of, of this film or TV show or whatever we're watching. So, mm. so yeah, I mean, I think it, I would say enjoyment and discernment are like things that we need to think about. Like, uh, and sometimes... The, the way evangelicals have approached pop culture has gone to one extreme or the other. Like, it's all about discernment, and we have to have this hyper kind of defensive 
posture where we're everything is just you know potentially harmful um, or the other extreme of just kind of too casual like well this, this is like a it's a Disney movie it's a it's a Marvel superhero movie like there can't be anything harmful here so we're, let's just like let's enjoy it and let's eat our popcorn and not overthink it so you have that approach sometimes that Christians take and then you might have the other like approach where that sucks all the fun out of it because it's like everything is potentially like um, the devil behind a bush sort of thing yeah so yeah I'm somewhere in between those and I think that um, as I've grown older and hopefully more mature and hopefully more wise as a film critic I've actually become a little bit more conservative and just in terms of what I will personally watch and expose myself to. Um, and I think part of that came with becoming a dad and having children and just being more aware of, like, what am I modeling to my kids? I mm -hmm. want to err on the side of probably avoiding potentially harmful things rather than this, like, free-for-all of, like, I'll watch anything and everything and every any, like, HBO show I'm going to watch, you know, I basically like there's fewer and fewer things that I'll subject myself to the the older I get because life is too short to fill your mind with toxic content yeah. right there's plenty of good and true and beautiful content out there to enjoy so why spend your pennies in potentially polluted kind of terrain yeah yeah I agree I I'll catch myself talking about you know like a, a a tv show or something that i that i really love that was that was a fun watch that was interesting and i'll be talking to a friend about it and then i would say oh well you know but they they did have this in it mm -hmm. and later reflect on that and think you know if i have to add that in that that little warning was it even worth for me to watch it in the first place uh, I've, I've caught myself thinking that before yeah no i think it's a good it's a good process to go through and think through that as Christians. Like, what? How many caveats do we are are too many when, when we're like watching a show? Like, where does the balance of like, well, it has good themes and it has good acting, and it has good this and this and this, but it also has this really bad stuff and this you know explicit content. Like, what what is that balance of something being worth it? because of the quality, um, artistic quality or thoughtfulness of the movie. And, and I don't know the answer, right? This is a process I'm constantly going through as a Christian film critic, as someone who like spends a lot of time watching things and looking to discern um, the ideas and the meat, the substance of a film. but having to subject myself to sometimes unpleasant content in the process of that, it's hard. And, and I, so mm -hmm. I have to be really careful with how I navigate that and, and when, when it's just not worth it to recommend something to other Christians because it may have some merit and some um, commendable qualities, but it's just not worth it. So it's yeah, yeah. a good, good question to ask. Yeah, no, whenever you're talking about, uh, so you said there's two sides, entertainment, discernment. And under discernment, you said there's discerning of content and worldviews. Mm -hmm. I think for uh, some in our audience, probably not for a lot in our audience, but for some in our audience, they might be a little confused by those terms and, and, and trying to understand how those terms really are referring to two different things in the movie. So can you just explain and, and i think th this will be a helpful backdrop as we get into you know talking about specific movies and so on uh what do you mean by discerning content and worldview how are those two different things mm -hmm. uh, obviously interconnected things uh that are present in a film that we watch yeah so what i mean by content is more of the like um objectionable content that you might read in like a parent guide like how many curse words there are how many sex scenes there are like what's the level of graphic violence you know that kind of basically what's on the screen <laughs> that might um, trip you up as a viewer or might you know cause you to stumble as a Christian that's what I'm referring to with being discerning about content now we also have to be discerning about the story and kind of the ideas 
in the film. And that's more of the kind of bigger picture, not necessarily what's on screen in any given scene, but the whole package together. What does it add up to? Like, what is the, the takeaway that the filmmaker wants viewers to have? What are some of the philosophical, theological presuppositions that the filmmaker has um, that we can discern? So I would say of those two types of discernment, the content is easier, right? Because it's obvious, like you can watch a film and you can easily count how many F words there are or, or how many like scenes of explicit sexuality there are. The discernment on the worldview level is the harder task because it's not always obvious and you have to sometimes kind of watch a film and then sit back and think about it and that so that's the work that i undertake you know that that's what i see as my contribution as a christian film critic i do the work of watching a film you know and then like sitting with it and thinking going a, a layer deeper than okay there's the obvious content and maybe the obvious meaning of a film mm -hmm. but there's sometimes layers of subtlety um, that we don't pick up as quickly, but are still there, and they still form us, whether we know it or not. Um, so I find this particularly um, important with kids' movies, actually. Um, yeah. as, as a parent, maybe I'm very alert to this now, but you know, we often think about kids' movies, anything on Disney+, Plus, for example, as like, well, obviously, like, we don't need to worry about these because they're like rated G, they're rated PG, there's not any like nudity or anything that's going to show up on the screen. And even if the story seems on the surface to be neutral or kind of a, just a feel-good kind of kid story, I find that a lot of times if you, if you go some layers deeper, there's really problematic kind of um, worldview assumptions at play that are um, that that our children as they watch these films are picking up you know over time and mm -hmm. for, for the generation uh, that was raised on kind of Disney in the 80s and 90s as I was I think there's just a lot that has shaped us <laughs> um, you know in those films that wasn't obvious um, so I wrote about this last week with a Little Mermaid review I don't know if mm -hmm. you saw that but mm -hmm. um, so yeah, that, that's just one example of like, the discernment on the worldview level takes more time, it, you really have to put your thinking cap on, and I think that that goes against the grain of our, our typical mode of um, movie watching, which is kind of like, go into the theater, have a fun time, and then maybe talk about, did you like it, did you not like it, for five minutes as yeah. we walk to the car, and then it's done, and then we move on to the next thing. Uh, and I just think that posture of consuming really powerful stories within like moving on so quickly that we never really think carefully about what was the actual like message that that, that movie mm. was trying to convey. Yeah. Um, so, but that, that can feel like attention with the enjoyment part, right? Cause if it's, mm -hmm. if enjoying a movie is good, as I'm arguing that it is, some people might be like, well, it's kind of a buzzkill to like have to discuss it, you know, and to really analyze the messages after it. Like, can't we just enjoy the Flash or you know, Spider Verse and just be done with that and like go on our merry way? And wh why do we have to like think so hard about it? So I don't know. Yeah. That's just my perspective. Is movies shape us whether we want them to or not, and whether we're aware of it or not, and so. Christians especially need to be alert to that and, and think a little bit more carefully about how that happens. Yeah, I agree. And I think, you know, so I'm a, uh, my, I'm into philosophy and apologetics. That's my, that's always been my, my big thing for a, a long time now. And so whenever I approach art in general, I approach it, um, in a very, um, you know, the way that I approach it has been heavily influenced by people like Francis Schaeffer and Nancy Piercy. So I, I, I approach it with what you're talking about in mind, which is enjoyment. Like I said earlier, uh, you know, I'm not an art house movie guy. I like 
you know, I, I'm, I'm a simple guy. Uh, but at the same time, I do uh, approach art, whether it's movies or other things, w- with those worldview questions in mind. Um, and for me, that's what makes it even more enjoyable. My favorite movies are the ones that are just great because they're well made, well acted. Um, they have entertainment value and so on, but also uh, touch on some of the you know deepest themes of life and ask big questions and uh, explore ideas and so on. Those are those are some of the best. And uh, and so yeah, whenever I watch something, especially content that's made for kids that has these subtle messages in it uh though the content itself seems innocuous the the worldview themes beneath i think are toxic you know my friends and this is going to make some of them really happy that i'm even bringing it up my friends often laugh at me because i get very worked up over frozen 2 and that i hated frozen 2 because uh I, i do think just speaking as a movie, it was a huge step down from the first one. The music wasn't nearly as good. They ruined the best characters and so on. But also, I, I thought that the the message of the first one wasn't phenomenal, but the message of the second one was just absolutely toxic. I, I thought it was terrible. Um, and so, you know, though my buddies and our friends might see me as a buzzkill every now and then over these things, I do think uh, it, it's, it's a trait that we should maybe all try to develop, particularly as Christian parents living in a culture that is increasingly um, growing the distance between our values and theirs. Yeah, we can't be naive, you know, to the fact that people in Hollywood have actually stated very explicitly that they're making movies for children that have certain ideas in them that they want to become more accepted, right? Yeah. if we suspected that was the case, you know, 10 years ago, now it's like people are actually saying that out loud in, in Hollywood. So, mm-hmm. so um, parents just need to be aware of that and not naive to, you know, every kid's movie or any kind of movie being just innocuous entertainment. Most yeah. filmmakers, like, like any artist, has something to say and they want, they want their work to communicate something that in their view is important. So um, the, the realm of uh, entertainment is not just this kind of neutral um, thing. It's very much a battleground of ideas and whose ideas, whose, whose vision of the good life is going to win out. Um, and that, so that's, that's why this is so important, I think. Yeah. At the beginning of a lot of y'all's articles uh, on you know film review there's a note that y'all add in uh over at tgc mm-hmm. saying something about you know we're not necessarily recommending every movie that we, we review but we review them because uh they have explanatory power and i like how y'all how y'all put that uh explanatory power to show what is the uh the driving worldviews of our culture right now yeah yeah and that speaks to another purpose for why i think christians should care about pop culture is not only for the personal um, enjoyment of it and not only for the like uh, protecting your kids part of it but um, just the fact that pop culture is an expression of a culture and its values and its its kind of mythologies and its spiritual um, kind of longings and uh, if we are called to reach this culture for Christ and to speak the gospel into this culture, then it's helpful, I think, to see how different things in pop culture, whether movies or TV shows or music, um, it can be yeah, really helpful to see, okay, well, there's this trend of this is showing up a lot and this idea, and I think it's just a good, um, good fodder for mission and thinking about how the gospel maybe speaks to specific um, areas where our culture is feeling tension or Mm -hmm. um, is is expressing longing um, that they might not they might not be explicitly directing that longing to God or religion or anything like that but it's nonetheless a real longing that exists and we as Christians believe we have answers to that um, in, in the form of Christ and the gospel. And so, yeah, so I think there's real potential for, um, 
for our mission in the world by not being pop culture junkies necessarily, but being students of pop culture and aware of it and conversant with it um, to, and to, to the extent that it helps us understand the culture we're trying to reach. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that that's a perfect segue into something I was maybe thinking about us getting into at the end of this, but we'll just briefly mention it now, which is that uh, like the prevalent theme of multiverses in yeah. a lot of recent movies. Uh, you just wrote an article. I think it's your most recent one on uh, the, all these multiverse stories yeah, and how they're just, yeah. And how they're just all over the place. Now they're in mm-hmm. Marvel movies and uh, DC movies and, you know, and, and, and others too, how they're all over the place. And a lot of people have pointed out and, and my frustration with them was, you know, it's just like a, um, it's a cheap writing trick mm-hmm. for the writers to be able to lazily throw in yeah. other nostalgic characters, to be able to just get away with doing things for the sake of the plot that, you know, it would have taken them greater creativity to have to do otherwise. Yeah. Instead, they just have this trick. Oh, multiverse. Now, now the, yeah. the story can move along. Um, but you brought out in your article all those frustrations, but also that deeper longing issue that you were referring to uh just now yeah i I think that i'm always looking for um you know in a secular age that has kind of done away with god and concepts like heaven and you know uh there's that leaves a void of meaning right people still have a need for meaning in their lives and consolation to their lives if they're going through grief or if they've lost a loved one you know if you've if if you've stopped believing in heaven you know and god losing a loved one is really you know really hard because what what is there what hope is there and as i was watching um the flash in particular and i don't want to get into spoilers or anything but the the plot really hinges on the flash losing a loved one and feeling the pain of that and wanting to reverse that and wanting to kind of somehow um, cope with the loss of this character and and the multiverse just becomes this convenient thing where it's like anything is possible in the multiverse you can go you can switch verses and, and someone who dies in one multiverse well they're probably living in another multiverse so there's mm-hmm. there's that hope that we get right so I, I say in my article today that, in a sense, the multiverse idea is kind of a sci-fi substitute for heaven and the, the Christian conception of eternity. Um, it's just another way to kind of uh, console ourselves um, instead of thinking that this life is all there is and if a person dies, they're dead and there's nothing beyond. Well, if we believe in the multiverse, then maybe there's a million simultaneous universes where things end up different and whatever grief we're going through here in this timeline or in this verse um, is different somewhere else yeah i just think it's an interesting there's obviously just like pop culture reasons why the multiverse is something hollywood is really into right now like you mentioned it just it's a kind of a a cheap uh writing trick to just make whatever you want to happen on screen sort of makes sense. Um, so there's, there's those reasons. But I also think that there's a subtle kind of spiritual layer in our culture right now that resonates with the idea of a multiverse. Uh, it's, a way, it's a coping mechanism for a very anxious age that we live in where, you know, Gen Z especially, which is the generation that is really like resonating with the multiverse, uh, they, they've grown up on social media and they're very anxious about like saying the wrong thing or doing the wrong thing or being canceled and having no hope if their life is canceled. <laughs> well, the multiverse, you know, means well, I could, I could just wake up tomorrow and it could be different in a different universe. And <laughs> there's this, there's this perpetual hope of um, things aren't, they don't hinge on what I do or don't do in this moment because there's an infinite array of options and the internet itself right has cultivated sort of this like multiverse of different pathways and different communities and different identities that you can have i think the gender fluidity of our age is related to this and and i didn't 
write about this in my article, but I was tempted to because I, I think there's connections with how the anything goes nature of the multiverse is similar to the anything goes nature of identity today, where you can mm. literally be whoever you want to be, whatever you want to be, and you can change it on a dime if you so desire. Um, so, in other words, like we don't want a world of limits. We don't want a world of kind of a, a linear, singular universe where what you do really matters because there's no other, <laughs> there's no other universe. Hmm. So this is all we have. So yeah. if that's true, then there is a degree to which our anxiety is founded because my life really matters and my decisions really matter. And um, if, if I sin or if I, whatever, like something I do wrong, there are consequences to that. And we, we maybe don't want that world, but it's the world we have. And um, I argue that it's actually something that gives our world inherent drama. Um, mm. and, yeah. Which is why I find the multiverse movies lacking sometimes in drama, because it's actually more compelling to watch a film where there's limits to what yeah. can happen, and you yeah. can't just kind of solve a problem by just switching to another universe. You, mm -hmm. If a problem happens, it, you're stuck with it, and you have to deal with it, and you have to grieve a death as ultimate, because there's no other universe where it doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. You can't go back in time. You can't, you know. Yeah, a so, story where the stakes are real. A story where the stakes are real. So it boils down to stakes. Uh, and that's something I really focused on in my review. You know, any good screenwriter in Hollywood would tell you that everything is about stakes. What are, how high are the stakes? And then how is the film communicating that tension of this is the stake and this is how it we has to happen. And the, the movie hinges on that. And I just think the multiverse kind of removes stakes a lot. Yeah, that's really good. Well, I think that's a good uh, natural transition into war movies because, mm -hmm. you know, in standard war movies, or at least the ones that we're talking about, not ones that are sci-fi, but ones that are uh, historical uh, dramas. Uh, they're stories where the stakes are real, and they're also stories where uh, the stakes are always extremely high. They're matters of life and death, and um, I, yeah, I think that's another one of the reasons that I've always enjoyed you know this genre is because it's stories where the stakes are really really high, uh, and so everything uh, matters, like you said. And so, um, how do you approach uh, war, watching war movies and evaluating those as, as a Christian and, and and thinking through those? Mm. what are you looking yeah. for yeah well it's a good segue talking about stakes because I think war movies are one of it's it's like a genre that really makes the stakes clear right this is a life and death battleground it's um, in, in most cases these are true stories that actually happened in history so that raises the stakes even more because we we're what we're watching on screen is kind of symbolizing or you know, acting out real lives and, and, and lives that uh, were cut short um, in the line of duty. And so you feel the, the weight of that. And um, so I think that's one of the reasons why war movies are so popular and, and universally popular is they, they naturally speak to um, the high stakes of our world and in this life that we live in where, um, you know, people... Uh, there, there are real um, battles and there are real threats and real um, risks that people have to take um, in risking their life to protect other people or uh, protect I ideals. So that's one of the reasons why I love war movies. It, it not only am, is it because I love history and they they um, they remind us of you know episodes in history that were important but there's also like a, a deeper kind of existential um resonance with any any given war movie speaks to this like the ultimate stakes of mm -hmm. of this life and you know putting yourself in the shoes of a soldier who's like you know getting off the boat uh at normandy like the beginning of saving private ryan man that's like the most intense moment of humanity i can imagine like 
that that moment of like, well, my life could be in its final minutes, um, but I'm going to press on and, and I'm going to like run into the battle nonetheless. Mm, so, yeah. so war movies just capture those like really heightened kind of um, human moments of, of life and death and sacrifice and valor and um, virtue, right? That's something I talk about in the article is how beautiful it is to watch the virtue of sacrifice on such vivid display mm. um, in, in, a, in a selfish, narcissistic world that we live in, which is increasingly so, I think. We would all agree that we're increasingly in this kind of like me-centered world where the idea of sacrificing your desires, sacrificing your comfort, sacrificing your life is increasingly just foreign uh, in, in this culture. It, it, it's nonetheless um, appealing to us, like in, on a very deep spiritual level, like we resonate with seeing people lay down their lives for others. And I just think that's interesting. Why is that, you know? Um, and I think as Christians, we have answers for that connected to Jesus and what he said and what he lived um, mm. in terms of sacrifice and laying down your lives for others as an act of love. Um, but, but yeah, it's, it's an increasingly foreign concept um, in our world. Yeah. In your article, you list 21 war movies that are worth celebrating um, or worth being a part of our celebration of uh, these holidays like Memorial Day and July 4th yep. coming up. Why did you pick these 21? I know that, that's a hard question because that's like 21 answers to one question. Uh, but just in, I guess if you can give a general one and then we can go through some of them um, individually. I've got it pulled up here. Uh, why these 21 films? Yeah, well, first of all, I should say that even though I released this article on Memorial Day, which is an American holiday, and we're, we're going to release this podcast before 4th of July, also an American holiday. Not every film on my list is about an American war or American soldiers. So mm -hmm. I'm talking here about war at, in a universal sense. Although yeah. a, lot of, a lot of the 21 films you know, do focus on America. Some of them don't. Um, and yeah, I mean, why I picked these 21, I, I think it's mostly just kind of subjective these are my favorites and um, these are ones that uh, I, I go back to and um, I want to show my kids one day when they're old enough probably um, so uh, usually when I make lists like this I one criteria I have in mind is have I have I, do I have a desire to watch this movie again you know if I haven't already watched it some of them like the thin red line I've probably seen a dozen times. It's one of my favorite movies of all time. Hmm. But um, some of them I've only seen once. But I might, I might say, yeah, I have a desire to watch that movie again because it was, it was really quality. So I tip. That's one of my criteria that I use in general for evaluating a film over time. You know, is it something I would spend another two, three hours of my life sitting with because it has so much value. Um, but another yeah. thing that I had in mind with this particular list, because I talk in the introduction about the virtue of sacrifice, kind of what we were just talking about, I, I, was, I was picking movies that really captured that. Some war movies are more cynical, I think, about war, and they just take this very gloomy, you know, war is horrible, and, and it is, but it's, it just kind of looks at the worst aspects of humanity through mm -hmm. war. And I like a lot of those films. I think they have value. But for this list, I, w I wanted to choose movies where they don't shy away from the horrible aspects of war, but they also highlight the, the valor and the virtue that is often on display. Um, yeah, yeah, and friendship. Friendship, camaraderie, yeah. yeah. Yeah, because I think you you have uh, all yeah all quiet on the Western Front, yeah. which is a pretty powerful anti-war film. Yeah, um, so that one definitely highlights the uh, the brutality. Yeah, of, that was one where I war. I was on the fence of whether I should include it because it does fall in that category of like um, war is pretty horrible. Like there's not mm -hmm. much 
there's not much redeemable about war, but it does really like the characters are are you know they're good friends and they they care for one another and they sacrifice for one another, even though they're in this really bad situation that the film is super clear you know is not is kind of meaningless right mm-hmm. the, the the end results of that movie is just a depressing um awareness of how world war one was was really futile in a lot of ways it was just a battle of inches you know over yeah. many years uh, and yet even in a bad situation virtue can be on display and i think it is in in all quiet on the western front yeah so one of your uh, movies that's on there that's not about an american war is um master and commander and I actually just rewatched that one the other night. Uh, I forgot that it was on your list. I, we uh, a couple of nights ago, we finally, for once, got our kids to bed on time, and so <laughs> I looked at the clock and I thought, you know, what? I have time for a movie tonight. I'm going to watch it's a movie. Magic hour for parents if you can get kids <laughs> down. Yeah, so so I thought I'm going to watch a movie, mm-hmm. and uh, and I knew that that one was streaming for free on mm-hmm. Apple TV Plus right now. And yeah. so and it, it's been over a decade since I saw it for the first time. So I wanted to watch it again. And that is just a classic. It came out 20 years ago this year, I think. I think this year is the 20th anniversary. So I've, been, I've thought about writing something entirely on that film on, mm-hmm. in, on the occasion of its 20th anniversary because it is one of my favorite films. I think it's, it one, it's amazing. Top, it'd probably be in my top 10 of all time favorites. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, it's remarkable. And, so much more than just a war movie so i think sometimes we can reduce a film by its genre you know you put a a film in a genre and it it can't be more than that but you know that movie is just about so much Uh, yeah even the relationship between paul bettany's character and russell crowe it's like this interesting kind of faith and science you know there's that Hmm. that subtext going on which is so interesting yeah yeah um yeah it it goes over uh friendship like we talked about Mm -hmm. sacrifice uh duty is a really really heavy theme in that one uh very very explicit too you don't have to be like a keen observer (laughs) to catch it you know um you know and and weighing duty with other responsibilities in life Mm -hmm. um and uh yeah just you know wonderful characters um so well done i mean like you said 20 years ago and you watch it today and that movie has held up it held it holds up for sure yeah it does not seem 20 years old yeah beautiful soundtrack too i love i love a movie Mm, that like i love a movie that's gritty and kind of like you know manly but it has like mozart and bach and and like classical elegance to it Mm -hmm. there's just something really um yeah dignifying about that yeah yeah um one thing that i noticed uh that's missing on your list is any movies about the revolutionary war and i'm wondering you know because we're doing this before july 4th and and i'm wondering is that because there aren't really many good movies about the revolutionary war because honestly i struggle to think of one yeah i i had the same kind of question when i was assembling the list because i wanted to represent all the major American Wars, at least. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, the only one I, I thought about was The Patriot. Yeah. But I'm, yeah, I'm just not like, I enjoyed it when it came out, but I don't think it holds up as well. Um, it, it's a it's a great movie for what it is. Um, it's certainly entertaining. Yeah. But like, I wouldn't put it, it wouldn't feel right to put it on the same list with movies like Master and Commander, yeah, 1917, right. Dunkirk, Saving Private Ryan. Yeah. Um, you know, like these these other movies are amazing, amazing movies. Um, you, you know, know they rank high in quality of a list by throwing in a slightly less, less quality. So, yeah. It's still good for sure. I I think it's an enjoyable film, but yeah, it's uh, it also it is it's not the most you know accurate either there's a lot of embellishment um it is a little cliche and cheesy at times yeah yeah for sure um but yes i was was hoping that maybe you knew of another good revolutionary war movie because all i can think of is the patriot which look that's all we got i'll take it 
but uh yeah i mean there's like you know. mini series like john adams and so, there's some yeah john adams is okay there's some things like that but i couldn't yeah that's like a gap you know in the in the war movie um canon you know maybe maybe there's a opportunity for some great director to to make the definitive revolutionary war movie yeah i wish i mean I, i'm hoping for it i i i really wish that some very passionate creative director out there would take one of like ron chernow's biographies and turn it yeah. into a miniseries yeah. like his washington biography or his hamilton biography mm-hmm. i mean those would be those would be incredible just just take a piece out of one of those yeah yeah there's no shortage of source material out there that could be adapted in a compelling way yeah yeah uh you do there's a lot of uh world war ii movies on there mm-hmm. um i had to restrain myself with world war ii because i could easily have done yeah you know, 20 world war ii movies but yeah well i'm sure you know just in terms of like what's available to you within the genre i'm sure world war ii dominates the genre of yeah. of war movies yeah. um you have dunkirk on there thin red line saving private ryan flags of our fathers and letters from iwo jima oh okay so I, i'd skipped over this you've got two i kind of include that as a as a pair because it really was yeah. clint, clint eastwood intended for those two to be like a um a pair okay mm-hmm. and then hacksaw ridge mm-hmm. so i've seen uh all of those except the thin red line and then the eastwood pair mm. you said the thin red line is one of your favorites so tell us about that one and why why you think that's an important one to watch i see it's a terrence malick yeah so that that's why it's probably probably my favorite war film is it's terrence malick directed it which means if you know terrence malick it's it's like stylistically unlike any other war movie so it's yeah very distinct in its style and it's i think that frustrates some people who watch it yeah you know because it's not like a straight history it is adapted from um, a novel the thin red line by james jones i think is the author so it is trying to tell some sort of story about a real event the battle of guadalcanal but it's mostly just kind of a poetic meditation on war and not only war in a um, uh, just kind of surface level sense but in a theological sense. So Malik is a Christian and all of his films are interesting to watch because he references theology and the fall. So the the thin red line kind of starts in a Garden of Eden type scene in the jungles of Guadalcanal. And it starts with these questions of that are in the voiceover of like, you know, how did we lose this paradise? Like where did evil come from? Like why basically why did sin enter the world and the whole movie is like wrestling with that and the problem of evil and what war um really brings to the surface which is that we live in a fallen world and this is not eden anymore this is not paradise and war is a very bloody reminder of that and uh, and yet the film has this beautiful sense of longing for the garden right longing for paradise to be found again and for there to be this shalom you know of um of uh, no more kind of killing each other um and and that it sounds kind of like john lennon-esque like no more war no more blah 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 but in the hands of terence malick it's just really meaty and substantive and beautiful so yeah highly recommend that you watch that um and turn up the volume and um devote you know three hours of uninterrupted time to watch it because it's a powerful film to experience for the first time yeah yeah i've i've tried some terrence malick and uh, yeah i've got to say uh he he's difficult for me um i i rented the tree of life one time and made it about 20 minutes in Yes. And just had to stop. I couldn't. It's a hard one to start with, I think. Yeah, I I couldn't do it. And then I watched, I watched a hidden life. I did enjoy that one. Um, but still he just doesn't, 
you know, I know, I, I know you love them, and I've got other friends that love them, and I know a lot of people do, and I, I think I think that's great, and I can understand why, but I just think for me, mm-hmm. it's difficult. You know, yeah. um, I've always thought yeah. it'd be funny if uh, if Terrence Malick would do a Batman movie. <laughs> like Terrence Malick's Batman where yeah. Batman just like broods over a reigning Gotham city whispering the whole time. Yeah. Like nothing ever really happens. He just mopes around in his, uh, in his suit. <laughs> well, it's funny because like Zack Snyder's, uh, man of steel, um, Superman reboot. I don't mm-hmm. know when that came out, probably like a decade or 15 years ago, but that the trailer people like made a big deal about how like, much it looked like it was going to be a Terrence Malick ripoff because um, it did have that kind of ethereal kind of like voiceover aesthetic um, and I don't know I don't think the film itself ended up being very Malick-esque but um, so it's sort of been attempted in, in the superhero genre the Malick approach but Batman would probably be a better fit for that because Batman is naturally a very introspective kind of dark yeah. Robert, Robert Pattinson's Batman I think yeah. is the closest to what a yeah. Terrence Malick Batman would be like. Yeah. No. Very moody. Mm. And he had, he had the voiceovers, mm. uh, you know, kind of like his yeah. own little journal entries whenever he was cruising around Gotham, especially like in that opening I, scene. Yeah. I, lo- I love that film. That was, that's probably a bit my favorite superhero movie of the last several years. Yeah. So, uh, so let's see. So back to the war movies, you have some that are even into recent, uh, conflicts, uh, such as War on Terror, yeah, yeah. Iraq War, uh, and there, there's a movie that's missing in here that I was wondering, you know, um, why I was missing, if or maybe you had written this article before you saw it, uh, but The Covenant that came out, mm-hmm. uh, Guy Ritchie's The Covenant, uh, because to me that is a movie that would fit perfect on this list in terms of a great war movie, just for like what you look for in that genre, but also one that hits some incredible themes. Yeah. in a really great way uh so did you see that one is that one that no yeah i did see it and i i really liked it and i actually thought about including it um i think the reason why i didn't is because it's not a true story um it's it it's kind of an assemblage of like types of things that happened mm-hmm. um in terms of translators and and the role that they played but um i just felt yeah, I, I felt like that lowered the movie a little bit in my esteem, you know, because there's so many, there's so many great true stories in from that war yeah. that could be told. So, like, why, why kind of make it up, even if the themes are great and even if the story is amazing, um, it it lowered it a little bit in my mind that it was just kind of like, let's write a script of a fake story. Um, even though it could be something that might have happened. So anyway, that's the reason I didn't include it, but I did, I did really love it. And there's some interesting theological themes in that film that um, I would love to like uh, write about or talk about sometime. Even the title kind of tips us off that this, this movie has got some interesting ideas on its mind. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah, I saw it a month or two ago and mm-hmm. absolutely loved it. I wanted to try to go back and see it again, but uh, I didn't get the chance to, so I'll have to rent it and watch it at home. But like you yeah. said, it's right there in the title uh, that yeah. that this movie is about a lot more than uh, than just you know shooting guns and blowing things up. Which they've got a lot of that, and I thought the climax of the movie at the end was it made me almost cheer um, because it, it was one of the coolest. Uh, climaxes whenever the yeah. you know the the day is finally won. Um, it was quite a thrilling movie. Like I was on the edge of my seat. And oh yeah. That and I mean I don't take it for granted anymore that a movie that's released in 2023 is going to do that for me because we that that kind of classic style of like filmmaking is a dying art form. But it was very gripping and engrossing and well acted. So yeah. It's. I highly recommend it. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's just. It's one of those that mm-hmm. you can walk away from and examine the relationships in your life mm-hmm. uh, in a different light, mm-hmm. and uh, and and kind of renew your commitment mm-hmm. to the covenantal relationships in your life. 
mm-hmm. and, and, and question what uh, what debts yeah. do I owe that I haven't been paying in terms yeah. and re- relationally. You know, of course, not our yeah. not our like sin debt before God. We know Jesus Christ takes all that. Right. Um, but uh, but yeah, yeah. I, I just thought that that one was mm-hmm. incredible. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I. I So all the rest of these are tr- were based on true stories. I don't know that all of them are, but I think most of them are. Yeah. Um, maybe apocalypse. Dunkirk. Um, that that's that's a true story, but you know the characters are fictional. Yeah, yeah. A lot of these have char- have fictional characters, but more or less follow the historical events. Yeah. Seventeen isn't historical necessarily. Mm-hmm. But. Um, yeah, I think the covenant could have fit on there. It could have. <laughs> if you do a second edition of the article. <laughs> yeah. All right. It was it was on my like initial list of movies that I was going to include, but there were several that didn't make the cut. So the covenant yeah. wasn't the only one. Well, next year you can write twenty one more <laughs> war movies. <laughs> Just do another yeah. another list. Yeah. But yeah, all right. Well, we're getting to the end of our time. Um, any any last thoughts that you want to send off our listeners with, based upon what we've talked about today? Watching movies, watching these war movies, looking for themes, and you know, taking them and refle- reflecting on them for your life. Yeah, I just think for Fourth of July, like pick one of these movies and watch it, and be grateful. You know that we live in a country where this these sorts of sacrifices happened so that we can be here enjoying movies in relative safety and comfort unlike yeah. in some parts of the world so yeah i think anytime a movie can make you feel grateful for things that you take for granted whether it's um, family or your nationality and your freedom or anything really like um even like a movie like that really highlights the beauty of nature and the the world that we live in like that th- those movies make me feel grateful that we we live in this world that's so full of beauty and things that are good and so i think war movies can help remind us of things to be grateful for yeah absolutely i agree that's a great place to end well uh brett thanks a lot for your time on the show today for you guys who have been listening and enjoying this and you want to go read the articles that we've mentioned i'll have them linked in the show notes the link to his movie uh, sorry his list of 21 war movies as well as his uh, latest article that talked about the multiverse ideas that we had talked about earlier both of those will be linked so you can go fi- uh, find those in the show notes below Uh, Well, like I said, Brett, it's been a long time coming, and uh, I'm glad to finally get to have you on the show, get to talk and meet. It's been a great time, so thanks for joining us on Filter today. Thank you so much. It was fun. Thanks for listening. I hope this episode provided you with biblical clarity to live with confidence in our confusing world. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and review. To catch up the latest from me, you can go to my website, aaronchamp.com. While you're there, subscribe to my newsletter so that you can be updated anytime I share new content. You can also follow me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Aaron M. Champ. Thanks again, and I'll see you next time. Until then, hold fast. <laughs>